it's nice to share food together and eat with people. I mean, that's like a very unique, powerful thing about food is that connection you can make with people. And it shouldn't be ignored within, within our staff and our culture. So looking forward to doing more of that again this year. Welcome to Tangled Taproot, where we explore the unique stories of small-scale farmers in the Midwest. I'm your co-host, Jackson. And I'm Kristen. I'm John Cowan. And this is a production of Milk and Hummus. Milk and Hummus? Yes, Milk and Hummus. We make flavorful hummus and ready-to-drink plant-based lattes that focus on locally sourced ingredients, sustainable packaging, and the humble chickpea. In this episode, we talk to Jeff Adams, farm manager of Theodore Farms. So Theodora Farms is in Godfrey, Illinois, which is just across the river. It's uh, just about straight north-ish of St. Louis, I believe. A nice little jaunt for us, 45 minutes. Theodora Farms is about 30 total acres with their property. And currently they are managing and farming. Well, they're managing all 30 acres, but they are actively farming about 12 acres and are working to expand into the 15-acre mark as one of their goals this year or the coming year. They've got six people on their crew and are looking to add one crew member this year. And we've got a lot of fun, exciting things to talk about with this USDA organic certified farm that's super close to St. Louis. Absolutely. It's the first uh, USDA certified organic farmer farm that we've talked to. And when you get on the farm, I mean, you, you get there, you look around, you can see the the acreage lined by some trees. And what they were mentioning is, of course, they don't produce on the entire, all 30, all 30 yeah. right? It's uh, an iterative process. But one of the things is that they are looking for the trees and perennial rotations to be put in place to attract pollinators, to ensure water retention mm-hmm. on the Healthier property. soil. So like yeah. a cover crop vibe. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of that. And it's pretty interesting. And also uh, sunflowers, what they mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes those. Those are not <laughs> a cheery flower. Geez, just like an oh. eyesore. Oh, Can't stand I to see sunflowers. sunflowers. <laughs> <laughs> and they were calling that a green fertilizer because, yeah, they serve a purpose of being beautiful. They grow photogenic, but then cut them down and bring all that carbon and nutrients into the soil. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great way to rehab soil and make it fertile and nutritious for growing delicious things for us to eat. Yeah, which is super interesting. When you hear, yes, we have a 30-acre farm, you're like, oh, wow, you're farming on 30 acres. And so, like, you must have, like, a lot of crop. But, like, only half of that are they actually, like, growing product on. The rest are is into attracting the pollinators and, and, and you know, making healthier and healthier soil. He mentioned that there was like a lot of water that was going through. Yeah. Yeah. Some water overload, almost like flooding wetlands issues, which is interesting to think about that as a problem. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So some of the root causes would be compaction, I think. And and so he was saying that. A row, row, like a growing row. Growing row. So what they've, what they've had issues with, let's say it's a hundred yards. The first 10 to 20 feet were having flooding issues. And, and compact as a result of compaction, that basically is like a what 20, 20 to forty percent loss. Yeah, you're losing some major product growing, or if the product was already growing, you've lost it potentially. Mm-hmm. So that, is, that seems to be a big obstacle that they're they're looking at, and they're they're trying to improve that with cover crop rotation 
and a number of other tools to uh, help improve that efficiency. Yeah, for sure. I think it was very interesting to to listen to them talk about that. Like I said, you you think that they're on all 50, but it's like, hey, no, there's so much more that goes into it than that. You can't actually, um, obviously everyone wants to be productive and they're like, hey, we've got 50 acres, let's farm in all of it. But like, it's just not sustainable. You well, can't yeah. actually do that. And if you think about like all of like the trees and the woodland areas, yeah. like that's contributing something. So you might not necessarily be growing on it, but you... But it is making a happier farm. Right. Yeah, like a habitat or other good things that are around maybe helping you and your plants. Uh, mm-hmm. Like maybe mm-hmm. pollinators take Heck safety yeah. to the tree. Absolutely. Land, so. It's looking at the whole ecosystem. Like, you know, you want your... Well, we all think of bees as pollinators, but there's a ton of other pollinators as well. But yeah, they all need a safe little habitat to interact with your agricultural crops. Mm-hmm. And without the bees, you know, you're not going to have those beautiful fruits and yeah. vegetables. So yeah. they, they, every, everyone plays a role. Everyone plays a role. And I think it was cool just to, just to see that they were making a place for everyone to play their role. Yeah, absolutely. John, tell us about all of the critical things that are happening with the soil there and how they test and maintain and keep it fertile. Yeah, so it, it seems pretty awesome. All right, again, we know that they're USDA certified. And so they're incorporating a lot of crop, cover crop rotations. So we'll explore all those varieties on the on the interview. One thing that really stood out is that they're actually testing their soil nutrients so that they know exactly what they're maybe missing. And so that data is incredibly useful for uh, producing their main crop varieties. As we learned, they're going away from that CSA model to something more wholesale focused and distribution focused. So with a CSA, you're thinking of like a variety, a lot of diversity, specialty crops to appease like a full season of, I guess, community. Well, they are different from a lot of from a few other people that we've interviewed that have right. CSAs because they had their own CSA. Right. They did they started with their own CSA where they were packaging it packaging and sending this out to to yeah. you know people think themselves. about the manpower and the woman power yeah. behind all of that and coordinating. And, Absolutely. And COVID had a big impact on that model with mm-hmm. with Theodore too. Like you, you have to almost bend if there's no restaurants open, you have to adjust your business model absolutely and they they certainly did yeah for sure so yeah they went from like having their own csa to you know being a part of a csa and now it seems like they're just more so wholesale focused now quite they're not even doing farmers markets which this is a big deal st louis folks yeah this is huge if you were scared like i was calm down (laughs) there's still ways to get delicious theodore produce yeah there is well, and just to hear hear Jeff talk about, you know, the reason he was like, yeah, well, yeah. it's just it's just nice to have Saturdays off or how they try to make their farm days even like an eight hour shift. Yeah. Uh, they're trying to like they they want to have their Saturdays off in they're the not summer. They're trying to be monsters. They don't want to mon- maintain humanity. Absolutely. And a sense of balance and quality of life was probably you, a key phrase with this interview. Absolutely. It makes you want to support them more. It's like, hey, yeah, I, I everyone gets that like who wants yes. to work more than eight right. hours a day who wants it's to hard work to weekends? embrace that absolutely and, it's, and put and it be, into action but mm-hmm, the quality mm-hmm. of life is something they're really striving towards this year which i thought was really cool and without the csa and the wholesale 
or in addition to rather the CSA and wholesale, they have a fabulous farm store mm-hmm. on their property that John and I got to walk through. And it's hey, really do they, well done. Do they done. sell any hummus there? I've heard <laughs> there is something called milk and hummus there. Mil- milk and honey. <laughs> I'm sorry. There is no honey involved here. This is 100% vegan. Vegan hummus. <laughs> you know what actually, what threw me for a loop is when he said there was no ice cream. I asked. You did. I you asked did. You and I got it. You guys the excited children out there that loves ice cream. Got to hand it to Kristen for asking the important I did questions. It for you and for the kids, Jackson. <laughs> but no it is ice a beautiful cream. store. Nice variety. Yeah. Like honestly, the from soap to dried pasta to frozen meats to fresh eggs, fresh produce. And fruits all from like regional farms. Yeah. It's really an excellent outlet for people to uh, get uh, local grown, uh, conscious, sustainable things. Right. And I think it's very Great cool that they're, they're grabbing people from, from other farms because they could very easily like, yeah, be like hey, like, this, well, is, this is our is farm store. This yeah. is what we have. They're like, nope, let's make this like a full store right. where like you can one stop shop and get all the things except for ice cream that you need. Totally. And, um, I, I don't know. That's really cool. It's, it's really a really cool. nice shift of something that they've like done in the last couple of years. Well, I mean, and- they go from that CSA model of diversity, farmers markets, et cetera. And then now they're focused on carrots, beets, lettuce, tomatoes as their quote unquote business model, which is pretty cool. So it streamlines everything from what they're planting to their washing process. They can deliver to these outlets in bulk rather than, you know, have to do all that extra stress on the the Friday before a farmer's market. Right. Or a lot of time. But then there's still, like you're saying, like they have this this farm stand, which is amazing, farm store, and uh, it's got a big diversity. So people aren't going to be missing out locally. Yeah. All that. And also, even like with removing their own personal version of CSA, there's still this uh, way to have their fingers into the community. Through their farm store. So the so even though they're not doing a CSA like Three Rivers and some other folks, we've got this really personal direct connection and communication with people coming to the farm, shopping at the farm store, getting to see where their food is grown. These are all really great, valuable things with a way to see how food growers are vital in the community. Right. And it's just a simple concept, but it's a really great reminder to see where a farm can really play a vital role in the wellness and the connectedness in a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from honestly, from a, from an urban planning standpoint, a lot of people are missing, let's say, a connection to meet people and, you know, interact with folks. And so having a farm, in a, especially a farm market, farm store, especially one that has the agritourism elements, you know, has events, you know, tours and, and is open to the community. It, it really is that sort of like a really good addition. It's a good bridge for the community. It could be a focal point even, which is pretty, pretty awesome and pretty exciting and something that Jeff touched on. Definitely. Well, yeah, even within their, their own farming community, just the, the workers there, they said once a week, they like to get together and have a very intentional sort of meal with each other. They called it like a farm meeting, but he was like, yeah, like we also like to get ingredients from the farm and like be very intentional about like, you know, what we're eating and and everything and just have that kind of 
bit of community uh, yeah. within their own farm. So And satisfaction getting to eat something you grew tastes more delicious. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then like when you know like all the, the good stuff that's part of that soil, that ecosystem, all those nutrients are like, and, and that flavor that produces, mm-hmm. you know, that's something that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Definitely. And they are organic. They're not the first organic farm that we've interviewed, but they are the first farm to actually get through the certification of being organic. And that's a, that's a big process. It's uh, a lot of paperwork. Yeah. That was interesting to hear about (laughs) the hurdles. There are audits, a lot of involvement in documentation. Right. Lots of documentation, which it seemed like they have completely redone their model and the way that they catalog their, their vegetables and their growing to match with this process just to make it easier. Smart. Yes, super, super smart. And before it was organic, it was a conventional farm. It was a corn and soy farm. So that's a process in itself because you have to have, I think, at least three years of transition period. Got to clean up that soil. Right. Rebuild it. Yeah, there's some some interesting, I mean, the land itself has potentially been farmed for generations. And, you know, from the interview, we'll... We'll find out, you know, a little bit of uh, fun existentialism from Jeff. Well, there are many rows of things inside little nursery houses, like we've seen at Three Rivers, uh, encouraging the babies and plantlings to grow. But you could see some nice around the plants. mm -hmm, You could see, like, besides the the row houses or greenhouses or nurseries, you could see kind of the the rows out in the fields in the open that you know didn't quite yet have babies in them, but you could tell that they had been working in those areas. And also interesting because of some of that water over hydration, flood, wetlands stuff they've been battling. They had prepared some fields towards the end of last fall and put a cover over them. So you could actually see the scalloped rows of prepared soil, but they're trying to keep it not so wet. Right. Um, So it's dry. So maybe like they could actually get seedlings deposited in there sure. but the time is right after right. the last frost has passed. Looks pretty neat. Some of the, uh, well, actually, the, the indoor greenhouses, I mean, like, you could smell the richness of the soil, like, when you walk in the room, it's like a nice humidity. Like, yeah. Like, if it, if, if it was a cigar room, but for soil, if that makes sense, yeah. like, it's nice and humid, rich smelling, earthy, Terroir. Yeah. And, uh, you <laughs> know, you, 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 you peel back the cover on the soil and you can just grab the soil and it just is very pliable and workable. And loose. Yeah. Loose. Yeah. It's, it's good stuff. It smelled good. Did. But yeah. So um, if, if you're able to first just start out just, just stating your name. Yeah. I'm Jeff Adams and I work at Theodore Farms as the farm manager. Awesome. How long have you been with Theodora? I've been here since the first season in 2020. I started in March of 2020 as a field assistant. How many folks do you have on your crew here at Theodora's? This season we have five currently, and we're hiring an additional uh, sixth field assistant for the year. So between the farm store and uh, rinse and pack and sales management and then the field. So we've got six. Yeah. Awesome. And these six people help you handle how many acres? We are growing, in the past we've been around 10, 10 to 12 the last two seasons, but we are expanding, not quite sure where our footprint's going to land this year for production, but the farm is on 30 acres, so 
we do have to manage that 30 acres, either mowing or cover cropping, but probably in production, we'll land somewhere around that 12, maybe 15 acre mark this year. It's exciting. Great growth. In your 30 overall acres, is that some of it woodlands area also, or is it all kind of flat, flat-ish? Yeah. We have our tree line or our, our property boundaries marked by tree line, but we don't really have any uh, woodland spaces that we manage okay. on the site. Yeah. But we do have a lot of undulations and a lot of like wetlands on the farm and some drainage areas. So this year we're moving into managing those spaces with some perennial crops and some specific like long-term management, building out poly- pollinator habitat and stuff like that. So Okay. So with wetlands navigation, that sounds like it probably as a farmer, that's maybe a challenge that you are encountering and dealing with on a regular basis. How how have you been handling hardships with that? You mentioned some of your field navigations and techniques that you've tried recently. If you'd like to talk about that, that would be helpful. Yeah, for sure. So when the farm was set up, we kind of just dropped a, a grid, so to speak, onto the landscape and then quickly encountered the the undulations of the space and how water really wanted to flow across this, across the property. So what we've done is we've taken some sections out of production entirely that will be perennial cover cropped or managed for pollinators. A big challenge is just thinking about like when we say we have a a 30 acre footprint, we don't actually have 30 acres to grow on and like getting into the mindset of like, we can't produce on 30 acres, we can produce maybe on 20, you know? So, you know, we'll be putting in some, some trees, putting in some specific uh, species of plants that can just like hold and retain water on the site, allow water to flow across our production areas and then be retained in those spaces to be better to our neighbors as well as like try and keep water on the site, produce ero- or reduce erosion as well. Smart. That sounds like a lot of research. What is your background or how, how have you kind of gleaned the largest amount of your education and background and knowing kind of how to navigate some of these challenges and farm life here at Theodora. Yeah, definitely relying on mentors and other people with experience um, who've been doing it a lot longer than I have. I kind of started my journey into farming around like 2016, 2017, before I ever stepped foot on a farm. Um, I was really interested in food production around that time. And so I've just been kind of researching and reading and visiting other farms and watching videos and and then also just utilizing resources that are out there from SARE or extension agencies, USDA. Yeah, so a lot of different things. But mostly, I think like farming across the, across the board is trial and error, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't on a small scale, and then incrementally expanding what does work. Yeah, yeah that sounds like a good approach, varied and drawing upon things over time, uh, different resources, very smart. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the crop variety um, that you have featured here on the farm, like half featured or most loved or your recurring crops that, that you like to grow? Yeah, for sure. So like we were talking about earlier, the farm was originally kind of established around that uh, market garden style. So a lot of diversity, wanting to fill out a, a CSA box to excite customers and do all that. And slowly we've transitioned into a more wholesale focus. And so that has cut our crop diversity, so to speak, down. And we're more offering the consistent things that people would expect to get at a grocery store that are easier to manage for us and can be scaled and replicated year after year, like on a larger 
on a larger footprint, so to speak. So we joked that like our crop plan is tomatoes, carrots, beets, lettuce, because those are our, our probably our big four crops there. Five, if you count cherry tomatoes separately. So that's where a lot of our focus is. And then we also have, you know, cabbage and bunching greens is a big one. We do grow some alliums, so some, some fresh bunching onions, as well as garlic and some scallions. But yeah, our big focus is those four right now. Carrots, beets, lettuce, tomatoes. Solid. Yeah. Sounds like a good foundation. Sounds delicious. Makes me want to carrot. <laughs> yeah. And uh, your business model then has changed, I guess, over the last couple of years. I mean, what about COVID? Did that have a good in- influence on your current model? Or, or is it just what's sort of transpired between your time here? Yeah. So when the farm started, it was, I mean, my first week here was, I think my first day was lockdown. And I was like freaked out that, you know, I was commuting from St. Louis to here and I was like, they're going to close the state borders. I'm not going to be able to get to work, you know. Um, and so starting a, a food business, starting a business in COVID probably was really difficult for a lot of people. I think farting, starting a food business was maybe a good spot to be. So we quick, quickly transitioned to offering CSA and online sales here that we distributed through the farm store. And then this and that continued for the last two years. Um, we had our own CSA as well as a CSA grocery bag with Max Local Eats. Oh, awesome. We did that for the first two years and we're doing that again this year, but we're not doing our own CSA this year. And we're also, like I said, transitioning more to wholesale. So we're also not going to farmer's markets this year either, um, which is something we've done since since we started. 2020, we were at uh, U-City Farmer's Market, and we're at the Alton Farmer's Market here in town. And in 2021, we added Tower Grove, and we stopped going to the Alton Farmer's Market because we recognized that as more people encountered our farm and farm store, our sales at the Alton Market here in town were going down, and our farm store sales were going up. So we, we stopped going there. And now we're just like, we're really trying to focus on quality of life. That's a, that was a big topic at the Marble Seed Conference this year as well. And kind of what intrigued me in going mostly was like, it was like a wisdom session, you know? I went and spent three days just gleaning wisdom. And a lot of what I heard was that your farm is an asset to the community just by existing to create space for yourself and your, and your farm team to still have some sort of work-life balance, some quality of life. And so we're really trying to pivot early in, in this farm's history to move towards that. So not begrudging farmer's markets. We love farmer's markets, but having weekends off sounds really good yeah. when it's warm yes. out um, yes. and during the summertime. Not just wintertime exactly. off. Ah. Exactly. <laughs> so we're making those changes to try and keep the longevity of our crew here and, and the business as a whole. And when you're saying wholesale, are you referring to selling directly to restaurants or what other type of, is it all restaurants? No, it's not all restaurants. Some restaurants, we do sell to restaurants here in town as well as in, in St. Louis, but it's two aggregators and distributors as well who are then selling to other restaurants. So working, expanding our relationship with Old Time Produce this year. We sold a little bit to them last year, have had some really focused meetings over the winter to kind of like look at exactly what they're wanting and Eat Here STL as well. Oh, great. I was going to ask you if you yeah. were plugged in with them. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Find Your Farmer. Okay. So that it still sounds, everybody needs to calm down in St. Louis. We know you heard that <laughs> <laughs> they may not be at the farmer's markets you're used to seeing, Theodora. Like I was thinking about thunder, lightning bolts, crazy sound effects if we had them. Like warning, warning. 
But <laughs> hang tight. We have these other options where you can still get Theodora produce. This sounds good. I feel okay now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, find your farmer and then the grocery bag with Max Local Eats, as well as uh, Perennial City. We're offering, we're supplying for their, yeah, great. their produce bag as well. So we're, we're kind of doing three subscriptions through third-party vendors, essentially. Okay. Yeah. And that's sort of streamlined, made things a lot more simple for your your core produce. Yeah, it, it allows us to spend more time planting and harvesting and less time managing a CSA in-house or packing individual boxes when we can just like load up into a truck and send it into St. Louis and then it can be distributed by those those businesses themselves. So harvesting in bulk and distributing off the farm in bulk is is kind of where we're moving to because it saves us a lot of time and we can grow more food and have healthier crops that way. Nice. Yeah, it, it sounds more efficient and that it would also perhaps help contribute to your sanity levels and some of the personal time like without being so high in demand on weekends to be in several places at once. That's a smart move. Yeah. And there's there's no illusion that we won't have to work on the weekends of occasionally. Course, of course, you know, yes. We'll have droughts. We'll have to irrigate. We'll have tillage windows that land on a Sunday because it's been rainy all week and we finally get drying on, on the weekend. But on the whole, it's not uh, farmer's markets every single weekend doing two of them. We're really excited about what Friday is going to look around here because, you know, Friday is always finish up harvesting chaos and rinse pack to prepare for farmer's markets. Right. Here, so. You got to roll out at a certain early time in the morning, right? Yeah, exactly. So you're just pushing, pushing. Seven, eight o'clock. And then we're back here at five in the morning. Oh, and then yeah. You don't really get a separation. And yeah. So looking forward to those changes Yeah, for us, for sure. Smart. Sounds good. Quick turnaround time on those days. You are USDA organic certified, yes? Yeah, we are. How tricky was that process? To navigate. I think the trickiest part was not anticipating the audit process in year one. So year one, you know, it's like, okay, the, the, we do plan on being certified organic. We're going to use organic practices. And then by year three, after that transition period was up and we were applying for certification and we had to do the audit, it was a lot of going back through our records and kind of rebuilding records to speak the same language as the certifier and get all the forms formatted the same way that the certifier wanted to see them. So that took a lot of time. The actual audit itself wasn't a big deal. It was like eight hours. So that was, it took up a whole day and it was a little stressful at times. And it was really interesting to see the process, you know, just like to sit down with someone and they want to see from seed to sale, a record of any crop that they could pick out over the last three years. So I forget which crops they focus on specifically, but you know, that was, that was a game and also like a little stressful at times. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's, I was very curious, yeah, to know what that was like. And we're getting ready to do our annual audit again here probably in April. And oh, it's an annual. It is. The current. Yeah, okay. with an annual fee of, of $1,000. So yeah, it, it is expensive to get that first certification. And then having a recurring fee of $1,000 is, is significant. And we're also adding the additional or the remaining 20 acres. So in that first year, we only certified the 11, 12 that we were on. And now we're adding the remaining 18 or so. And so that means we have to go back and like produce all new documents for the, for that acreage, show a three-year history for that acreage. Even It's been fallow, so it should be a lot simpler than trying to show production on, on that acreage. But yeah, it is a recurring thing. But the, the best thing that we did after that audit this past season was 
transition all of our record keeping on the farm to match exactly what the auditor looks for and exactly what the certifier's forms are. So it might be formatted differently, but we ask the exact same questions, data points that are going to be on that form. So then it's very easily transcribed over to their form and we're ready to go. So we don't have to continually rebuild records every year to to match what they're looking for. I always think it's kind of interesting to hear about, you know, we all kind of know what our life is like and it's, you know, it is what it is. We we're, we know what a day in our life is like. What What is like a standard day in the life of, of Jeff? Yeah. I usually get here pretty early, you know, peak season. I get here probably right before the sun comes up or or as it's coming up, I do like, I do enjoy some quiet time here on the farm before everyone gets here. And so I'll sit on the porch out here and I'll review the whiteboard, which we typically write up the week's plan on there day by day. And I'll review the whiteboard. I'll check the weather. If it's not going to be disgusting hot, I'll have some coffee and kind of prepare for the day. Make sure that the plan is organized and well thought and easily understood um, by the rest of the team. And if I have a little extra time, I'll either walk to the greenhouse before the crew gets here, or I'll go and, and prep the truck with tools and, and things that we'll need for those first couple tasks, or get the tractors ready for the first couple tasks of the day, just to really make that first two, three hours very smooth. So we step off of the porch, we have the things we need in place, and we can go out and get to work. And then we go out to the field. And I actually don't spend a lot of time on tractors. Adeline is our primary tractor operator and, and field prep coordinator. So she gets the luxury or privilege <laughs> of being on the tractor, which I think everyone's always envious for tractor time. Sure. <laughs> but like anything else, it gets monotonous and boring sometimes. So, so yeah, we'll go out to the fields. Usually Monday, Wednesday, Friday are harvest days for us. Tuesday and Thursday typically land on, we have to fill the other responsibilities of greenhouse sowing, plant outs, and cultivation on Tuesday and Thursdays. Sometimes we get a little wiggle room around those harvest days, but that's kind of how the week unfolds typically. Depending on the day, you know, that's, we could go out and harvest on a Monday. We take break at 10. And then usually by 10, we're in tomatoes and we're picking tomatoes for the remaining five hours or so. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, and then we usually break by 3.30. In the past, I've stayed here until dark some nights, you know, on the tractor, tilling, getting ready for the next, the next day or disking or just kind of like trying to move that field prep timeline along and we're really moving to sticking to an eight-hour day for everyone going forward. I, that's not always going to happen, but that's an ideal that if we can reduce the amount of time that we're working on the weekends and try and keep it to an eight-hour day, like make farming fit into a nine-to-five as best we can. Of course, that's not always realistic, but sure, sure. that's something we're striving towards. Yeah, so. it's great to have goals and yeah. yeah, to have some personal space outside of work life, farm life. It's always wise. Yeah, absolutely. So then th- 3.30, we wrap up. And sometimes we'll, we'll hang out here in the backyard as a crew and have a beer or something and just kind of admire our work, look out on the fields, talk about what's going on. Are lunch breaks or nutrition breaks often from the farm or do people pack their lunches or what do you, what do, you do? We're not as good as we should be about, about eating lunch from the farm, honestly. We take an hour lunch and we meet once a week for kind of like a staff meeting and we, in the first year, we were really good about eating lunch together and, and eating off the farm or from the farm. And the last, I guess that second year was not so much. The end of last year, we got better at it. So we started, you know, preparing salads for each other again. And that's really nice and something that we continue to look for, or we look forward to continue doing that this year. Like 
it's nice to share food together and eat with people. I mean, that's like a very unique, powerful thing about food is that connection you can make with people. And it shouldn't be ignored within within our staff and our culture. So looking forward to doing more of that again this year. Yeah, I 100% agree. So that community time with your staff around food, that kind of extends into your farm store. I know we talked a little bit about that on the tour, but could you share with the listeners a little bit more about the Theodora Farm Store and the businesses and items and produce that you feature there? Yeah, absolutely. So Elizabeth manages the farm store and she's done a really great job in there. It is, I think you said like warm and cozy when you walked in, even though it's like December or it's yeah. not December. It's very cold though. Yeah. But it is a beautiful space. Yeah, we're yeah. in March, so it's a little cold. But yeah, it is nice. The lighting is nice. I think that the overall vibe that Elizabeth is trying to go for in there is like kind of a cozy coffee shop kind of feel. And you can feel it when you walk in there. Success. So it's very nice to walk into. We have produce from from our farm. This year, we do plan on buying produce in from other farms of crops that we're not growing Neat. this year. It's one way to like help support other farms. And I heard from someone, I, I forget who it was, but that a, a way to be a, have a good farm business is to also be a good broker of vegetables. So if you can buy and sell vegetables, you can be a good farmer as well, which of course we do that anyways, but trying to expand that that muscle a little bit. So we have our own produce and then we have a, a freezer and a refrigerator. We carry Rolling Lawns milk. We carry your wonderful hummus. We have really nice chocolates. I don't know exactly where they come from, but Beichi cheese. And then in the freezer, we get, we have rustic roots, eggs and some meat from them. And we get beef from Freeman Brothers, which they are in Illinois. Couldn't tell you the name of the town right now. And then we have a whole pantry side of things as well. So spices and sauces. We have Midwest Pasta Company, Two Men in a Garden salsas, some organic chip options, lots of stuff from Ozark Forest, mushrooms and, and some of their sauces and flourish stuff as well. So yeah, a whole whole array of things as well as soaps and household items too. Perfect. That sounds like a really, really complete store. I wish I lived 35 <laughs> minutes closer. <laughs> And we do um, throughout the season also buy fruits in from other people. So we'll have oh, Calhoun nice. peaches in. We'll get apples, apples from uh, Liberty Orchard. And then also some nut butters and different things from Platt, I think. They're a little further north of here. And some apple sauces and stuff like that as well. Nice. And for the kids that might be listening, is there any ice cream in your freezer in the summertime? <laughs> there, there is no ice cream, but we do have okay. the really delicious uh, chocolate and cappuccino and orange milks from Rolling Lawns. So. Ah, Rolling Lawns. Thank you, Rolling Lawns. <laughs> <laughs> delicious treats. One of the uh, items of, of interest is uh, soil health. Can you share a little bit about how you maintain and or improve your soil health on the farm? Yeah, absolutely. So... We do have, I guess I'll start with what the condition of our soils are now. And so we have drainage issues, we have compaction, and we typically run into a problem in our beds where, you know, our, our standard bed is 100 foot long. And we typically run into problems where the first 10 to 20 feet and the last 10 to 20 feet of a bed is compacted heavily, sometimes floods. And so we get very little yield, if anything at all from those spaces. So we typically end up with 80 to 60, 60 to 80 feet of actual usable productive land or space in that bed. So trying to address those problems and also maintain 
the fertility in the soil while we're extracting crops from them is, is a big focus of ours. We do add some mineral amendments to try and boost the fertility while we're also expanding our cover crop plan, which will help, the cover crops help with, with tillage and breaking up that compaction. And then we use organic mulches as well, mostly straw mulch to kind of feed the soil as well as work as a weed barrier. And then that's incorporated. So we're adding carbon and organic matter to the soil year after year. And we soil test every year. We have a company that we work with called Midwestern BioAg out of Wisconsin that looks over our, our soil test results and then recommends different amendments or, or fertilizers to put down and help us with that. One, one thing we're adding this year is an organic chicken crumbles. So it's a composted manure that we're really looking forward to because it is an organic source to replace an extracted mineral source instead. So the microbes in the soil will, res- will respond to an organic additive much better, I think, than just like a mined mineral that's put down on it. We don't have to worry about the runoff of, of a salt that we're putting on the field to our neighbors because we do have ponds on either end. And that, or, that chicken crumbles should improve the tilth. So we're, it's a balance of growing cover crops and the amendments that we put down, as well as the tooling that we're using on the farm. So we do till, and that contributes to compaction problems or creates a hard pan below the surface. And this year, we're actually rotating in an implement that we haven't really used much called the spader. And instead of like 540 RPMs kind of like eviscerating the soil with the tiller, tiller is a great tool, but it can be also very destructive. Looking forward to using that spader in our rotation to incorporate spent crops or cover crops or that organic mulch and being a little bit gentler to the soil and like kind of digging and breaking up that compaction a little bit that way. What type of cover crops are you using or plan to use? So in the past, we've used rye overwintered. We, during the season, if we have a window, maybe even if it's just like, even if it's just like 30 days, we'll put out buckwheat because it attracts a lot of pollinators. It flowers, it's beautiful. It suppresses other weeds and it also mines nutrients as well. We've used sunflowers just as a big like green manure additive cover crop so you can get a nice beautiful stand of sunflowers in a quarter acre section and then mow that down and incorporate it in and then we're also this year using a new new to us cover crop mix that includes clover and vetch and tillage radishes and sun hemp and i think sunflowers in there as well so some of the spaces that we're not using in production this year will be in cover crop for the entire season i bet none of your neighbors complain about sunflowers (laughs) sunflowers <laughs> like ah it's looking too pretty over there there's a whole field of sunflowers <laughs> sounds good to me <laughs> right yeah absolutely and like we have this margin over here along alby that we have to mow you know because our, our field sections are offset from the road a good way is probably two three hundred feet and we have to mow that every every couple weeks month and so we're, i think we're going to put that in sunflower just as that real nice kind of margin along the farm for the road the back fields will probably have quite a bit of sunflower in them this year. And we're looking forward to opportunities as like, you know, agritourism is, is a big thing right now and continues to be a thing for like farms to di- diversify their income. And we're looking to offering those sunflower fields to photographers to come out and like you can use it to take photos. and Great idea. You know, different things like that. Just a way to, even though we're not using the space to produce vegetables, we can potentially produce a small amount of revenue just by growing a cover crop that's good for the soil and also good for people to come take their photos yeah. in front of beautiful 
Fields of Sunflowers. Nice. On our field tour, you mentioned a little bit more about the history of the land and the property and just that it's been a farm for quite some time or has been used the, as, as a field or growing area for many years, decades, centuries, <laughs> thousands of years. Could you describe that a little bit further? Yeah, absolutely. So in that first year, as we started working the land, prior to us, it was, I'll back up a little bit. Prior to us being here for the last several decades, this has been a conventional farm. So corn and soybeans and wheat and, and hay production. So we'll go out there and we'll come across tooling and implements that have broken from that style of farming that are out there. And you can kind of see this timeline of, of use by the different artifacts that you discover out in the field. So we'll find carriage springs and we'll find horseshoes in the fields from when the land was probably worked with horse-drawn implements. And we'll find tooling from when it was more conventionally agged over the last 30, 40, 50 years. And then going back even further, you know, I've, I think in the first year I was in a bed using a hand hoe, just going along weeding a bed and out popped a, a hand digging tool that was worked out of flint. And it, it was, you know, an indigenous artifact that who knows how long it's been there. But I did have like kind of an existential moment there where I'm here on this space working the land in the same manner that someone else probably was thousands of years ago. I mean, I don't know exactly the timeline it could have been, but it was incredible to think about and incredible to be on, on this land, knowing that like there are generations and generations and generations of people that have used it for one thing or another. And just to see the evidence of that is it's incredible and it's enriching and it's great to just like be able to experience that in a space and be able to reflect on that use over time. That's very cool. Is there anything um, that you would like to talk about or describe yourself or something that maybe we didn't ask or anything you wanted to share personally or about the farm? I mean, you mentioned that you have um, events. Are you going to be doing that this uh, this year at your farm? Yeah. We don't currently have a calendar set for the year, but we've done farm-to-table dinners in the past. We've had bands come out here and play, and we've had salad and soups and different things to offer, as well as like the farm store being open so you can buy drinks and kombucha and stuff like that. So we we enjoy as like as the field team, as the, the farm workers here, we enjoy coming off the fields and seeing 30, 40, 50 people hanging out in the backyard. <laughs> and it's just really refreshing to like, to have that space and have people here. Farms certainly should be an asset to the community and should be open to the public to come experience them. I think a grand vision for the future is that farms are the center of like culture and social activity. So I think we kind of want to like see that happen here, like make that a thing here. So we are planning on, I'm sure we'll have some farm to table dinners with different chefs later in the year. Definitely some bands out here as well. We do have some classes as well. So we have the certified commercial kitchen here that we've offered some classes, cooking classes and, and food classes a little bit this winter. And we're looking forward to having that some more as the farm store opens and people can come out here and be more around the farm. Definitely. Great way to plug in and connect with the community. And I think it's always valuable when people have an opportunity to see where things are coming from, how food has grown. What a great opportunity for kids to lay their eyes on too, you know? Yeah. And I mean, we're, we're really excited about the season starting and the farm store opens on April 15th. So that's one advantage, I guess, that we have not going to farmer's markets is that we don't have to 
compete for inventory between the farm store and the farmer's markets in St. Louis. So we can open to our customers and the community around us a lot earlier. In the past, it's been late May that the farm store has had to wait to open to have the supply to stock. And so this year we'll be opening around April 15th. We'll have a plant sale that'll that'll kick off when the store opens and just looking forward to having people here. Sounds delightful. So folks that want your produce can either stop by your farm stand or visit Perennial City Composting online, find your farmer online and- uh, Max Local Eats. Max, Max Local, local Eats. Eats, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and those are all for sale right now. All those subscriptions are offered right now on their um, on their websites and easily found on their social media. It's it's the CSA subscription time right now to yeah. be selling and getting ready for the season. It is yeah. the season <laughs> for CSA. is awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for uh, your time this morning. Yeah. We appreciate the tour and your time and everything you shared with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. And it was it was great to have you guys out to the farm. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks again to Jeff Adams from Theodore Farms. If you're used to finding them at the farmer's market this season, they will not be there, but you can still find them at their farm store, which is located somewhere. In, God- in Godfrey, Godfrey, Illinois. Godfrey, Godfrey, Just Illinois. Just across the river, folks. Not, not too far at all. And also through the CSAs at Max Local Eats and Perennial City Composting, which is a subscription service where you can get things delivered to your doorstep and get compost picked up. Ooh. What a rewarding system. Also, Find Your Farmer. Find Your Farmer, also here in St. Louis region. Old-time produce if you're a restaurant. Very exciting. Right. Or for people producing hummus that need high-quality products. That's right, yeah. <laughs> also, We don't know any option. people like that. <laughs> and thanks so much for checking us out. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like and share. Give comments to Tangled Taproot at milkandhummus.com. We would love to try to answer your questions. Thanks for your involvement, everyone. Till next time. Salud.